in your name, by your strength. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen and amen. May you grab a seat in the house of God. Today, in the first service, I preached a message. Thank you, man of God. Uh, I preached a message about Jesus increasing while we decrease. And as we decrease, Jesus increases. That's the way to go. If you want more of Jesus, you need less of you. If you want more of the power of God, you need less of the devil and his lies. It really does work like that. As I always talk about different religions, there is some elementary truth in them. The yin and the yang of the Buddhists is a bit true, or the Taoists. There is a little bit of truth there that there are forces at play, but they are not equal. Light always overcomes darkness in Jesus' name. Amen? If you don't believe it, just go down into that scary basement, dark at night, you know what I'm saying? And with all the lights off, then turn on the flashlight on your phone. And then say, this is who I am in this world. I am the light of this world in Jesus' name. God is with me. Who can stand against me? Light overcomes darkness. But like I said, there is a true component to us understanding that we are in a battle and that if you are not filling your life with light, darkness is taking its spot. There is no neutral ground in your life right now. There is no neutral ground in the way you think about things right now. Everything is being processed either through the mind of Christ or the flesh. Now we know that the devil uses the flesh, but he can no more control the flesh and make you do something than Jesus can make you do something. Can I hear an amen? Now somebody may raise their hand and say, Pastor, what about those demon-possessed people? Well, that's different. They have given themselves over to evil, and there has been a transaction that now the devil gets to stake his claim in a very unique way. But most of the world is not demon-possessed, but they are carnal and sinful. And once again, that is because they are, by their own choice, choosing to follow the flesh. Now, if you're new today, I'm glad that you're here. All of our lessons previous to what we'll be talking about today are the book of Galatians, already online, on the app. Please check it out. Open up your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 6, because I want you to see that God wants us to make our choice to believe, as that song was singing, that he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. Amen? And as I was talking today, it's up to you. Do you want God to increase? And then you decrease, or do you want to keep increasing and God to decrease? It's your choice. And it fits right into what I'm talking about today. Because think about your relationships, those of us who are married. Do you want more of your flesh, your ideas in that marriage, or do you want to decrease your ideas and let God's ideas for marriage come forth? Let me talk to the teenagers right now, young people. Do you want more of the world? Do you want more of what's out there on your iPod? Or nobody has an iPod. iPhone, sorry. <laughs> what's on your iPhone? Do you want what's on uh, Spotify and all of this? Do you want more of that or do you want more of Jesus? Now, once again, somebody might say, trick question, I can get Jesus rap and Jesus rock and Jesus this on Spotify. Okay, But you get my point. Do you want more of what the world is saying to you or do you want more of Jesus? Because what you fill your mind with, what you fill your thoughts with, is what your body is going to begin to act out. That's why when the Fifty Shades of Grey came out, it was no different than Desperate Housewives, and it was no different than the thing that came before Dallas, and it was no different than the soap operas. You know, it's always been out there. It's always been out there. There is a perversion that's drawing people towards the things of the flesh, and you'll find words, songs, movies that promote it. But you have to decide to get promoted, uh, you know, to promote this in your Bible. See, the, you know, the world is promoting sin, but Jesus is promoting holiness through the word. 
What are you promoting? What are you taking in? I think about these ads that come on YouTube for their promotions and these different things that lure you in. Is this bringing you to, you know, your knees in prayer today? Is this word of God making you stop what you're doing and focus on Jesus? Because this right here is popping up ads all the time. If you hide this word in your heart, you'll get pop-up ads all the time. Are you listening to me? You can watch YouTube right now for free, but they're going to put up all those ads. How many know they're always going to pop up? As a Christian, if I am staying in the word, the word of God is always going to be popping up into my mind, popping up into my thoughts, popping up into my everyday life. But if the word is not coming in, then the word has nothing to, uh, the God will not use my own thoughts because my own thoughts are garbage. So if the word's not coming in by obedience, then I don't have those opportunities. So it's garbage in, garbage out. We know these things. But we don't take it that serious, I'm afraid, because when we look at our life, we, we want to blame everybody. You know, well, it doesn't, it doesn't work for me that way. You know, I was raised a certain way. Or, you know, I have these temptations, Pastor. You don't understand my temptations are so different. No, as we were singing today, God can do exceedingly, abundantly, whatever we can ask, think, or imagine. All he's asking us to do is believe. And as I was saying in the prayer, I want everybody to hear this. It doesn't matter if the world believes or not. I know most of them don't, right? Our book starts with a talking snake. Most people don't believe that. I understand that. It ends with what? Jesus coming back and restoring the Garden of Eden. That's how it ends, right? So from the beginning to the end, it's miraculous with some, you know, uh, seas parting in the middle, dead people being raised. They don't have to believe it. But man, by God's grace, Christians need to believe it. We need to believe it. I believe it. And that's all that matters in my world is if whether or not I believe it. And I'm not just talking about here on Sunday. That's not just my world. I'm talking about 11 o'clock at night when I lazily picked a Netflix show and all of a sudden I see a woman's breast being exposed. I thought it was just a sci-fi action movie. Now I'm watching something I shouldn't see. See, do I believe the word of God? Like at that moment, do I believe that gets shut off, repented, confessed to my wife, and then I say, shame on me for not paying attention to a rating on Netflix. What do you believe? God will do abundantly, exceedingly, more than we can ask, think, or imagine, but we got to believe he's got a plan for us more than these temptations on Netflix. I look at the world around us, and they believe what they believe. They talk about it. They sing about it. They put it on their T-shirts. That's what they're about. There's no confusion what they're about. I'm not even angry at them for being who they are because I used to be just like them. How many used to just be a sinner like them? You were just a sinner as, as they are a sinner. So that's them being them. But we need to be who God called us to be. At least they need to say about you. Look, 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 look. Hey, co-worker, I know you don't like her. She always have Bible verses on. I know she's always playing worship music. Co-worker, I know you don't like this Christian, and I know you don't believe anything, but you got to give her credit. She believes what she's talking about. She believes what she says. She's living by what she believes. Now there is, of course, a real truth in the midst of our belief because most beliefs are just what make-believe. They don't have any re reality to them. And so our beliefs are not just positive thinking, wishes and hopes, manifestations, as they call it now on the Internet, manifesting your own hopes and dreams, though once again there is some truth, elementary truth, to you believing in what you can't see and seeing it come to pass. But that's not just what we're doing. We're just not seeing things in the future that we're going to work towards. We are trusting God in such a way that even if we tried to put our imagination to its test and, and, and try to see all that God has for us, we couldn't even reach the beginning of it. 
God is going to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we can ever ask, think, or imagine. Amen? But he's asking us to believe. I look at each one of your lives here. I look at your testimonies. And as a pastor, I used to dream and imagine what it was like for these chairs to be filled. But now that you're here, it's exceedingly, abundantly greater than I ever thought or imagined. Unless you just think you're basic, unless you just think you're ordinary, I thought you were extraordinary. Come on, are you basic? <laughs> no, man, you're extraordinary. You, you, you're more than I thought you would be. When I thought about you, you know how I originally thought about you? If you ever played a video game and you see the faces in the background, they're all blurred and pixelated. Or if you ever watch one of those cartoons and the people in the background, they're all just moving their shoulders at the same time. <laughs> I didn't understand how beautiful it would be to get to know you, to, to have a relationship with you, to see your children, to be able to see your hopes and dreams come true. So as a pastor, yes, I could dream and imagine a place being filled with people, but I couldn't go to the place that God wanted to see it as clear as he wanted because he was going to do more than what I could ever do. He's going to take me beyond my desires, and he was going to bring forth his plan and his will, and they're always greater than our desires, greater than our wants and needs. Can I hear an amen? Thank you. But it doesn't mean that life is a bed of roses, a yellow brick road that we're always singing in the rain. There's going to be battles. There's going to be struggles. As we're going to learn here today about the flesh, you're going to have issues in your life. You're going to have things you have to deal with. Just because I've been a pastor, a Christian over 20 years, does not mean that I'm not tempted to sin. It doesn't mean that I'm not tempted to give up on my own dreams. Oftentimes, you and I can tell that we're getting closest to the breakthrough when we're most wanting to give up. Has anybody ever been there in life? Has anybody ever graduated a class and got a good grade? Okay, some of you. How many of you have ever worked a job and got paid for it and were happy when you saw the paycheck? I'm not talking about one of those paychecks you gave more to the government and more to your employer than they gave you. I'm talking about one of those good paychecks. I'm talking about one of those you took your friends out that night. Have you ever had one of those, right? But, but let me ask you, in your struggle to get those good grades, in your struggle to get that paycheck, didn't you feel at some point you wanted to quit? Didn't you feel a push? Didn't you feel a resistance that if it was easy, everybody would have gotten an A in that class? If it was easy to get that check, everybody would have got that check? But you fought for it. God was using you in that moment to show you you can change the world. When we talk about God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, why do we think about earth like down here and over there? The earth that he wants to have and to change and to transform is this earth right here. May your kingdom come and your will be done in this earth as it is in heaven. And so as we start believing God for his beautiful plan for our lives, for glorious things, for things beyond our own imagination, we have to see that there are pitfalls in front of us. By God's grace, the church is able to get us a parsonage. My wife and I have been renting ever since we've been in ministry. I've never owned a home. Some of you own homes in your 20s. That's a gift of God. Amen. We're happy and we're proud of you. But for the first time in my life, I'm able to own a home. And the church is not going to really even pay any more than what they've been paying for our rent. And you guys know our bills and how we do things. And if you want more about that, you can talk to our administrator. We have open books here. You can always know what I pay for rent, what I pay for everything. You can know what I pay for the shirt if you want. I don't care. Listen to me. Because I will break the mold of what pastors have done by pimping in the pulpit. Amen. So now we finally got this house. We're going to be signing on it this week. Keep us in prayer. It's favor of the Lord. Amen. But I want to talk real to you right now. The church approved us for a budget that we ended up spending $200,000 less on. I want you to hear that again. 
We had a budget, amen, from the elder right there. Because I'll tell you my business. We had approved of a $650,000 loan. Because I have a family of six, we needed at least five bedrooms, X, Y, and Z. You know everything's up right now. And so I went around looking for this house. Everybody like, man, all these pastors getting paid. I wish I was a pastor. Put in work. If that's what you want, God can give it to you. But don't hate, celebrate, amen? If you didn't hear the first part of the story, you can't criticize the glory, okay? It came with some glory. If, if you don't know how we got to this point, you don't know what we're talking about. So you can see the gray hair. I've been here for a while, Amen. And so we, we had this budget approved. And so we started looking around, and we were finding homes that was in that budget, but none of them felt right. None of them looked right. Some of them were too far. Some of them were, were not big enough. Some of them didn't have the renovations done. Some of them we were actually going to put a farm with animals and start selling of, uh, you know, farm to fresh food here uh, and giving it away to you for free, by the way, and, and you know, selling it to the people around there, but giving it for, for free. Could you imagine me coming to church with eggs? Who wants eggs? I got chickens in my backyard. Who wants milk? I got some milk right here. Okay, now listen to me. I lived on Potomac and Lawndale too, y'all. Listen to me. I've been, I've been in the hood, and it's still good. Are you listening? If you, okay, you want me to live there? I'll still live there if, if you, you hook me up with some security, okay? Some of you are like, man, pastor, I thought you had angels. I need angels. I need a Glock. I need you. I need, I need to be taken care of. I've been there. How many have been there before in the hood? But how many know sometimes it's not all good, but God's still good? Okay, so we finally decided, man, look, I, I had my car broken into twice. They were selling drugs. So I said, I'm going to move out a little bit. And whoever stays in the city, I'm praying for you, and I'm going to come back to the city one day in Jesus' name. Amen? Somebody say second house. Amen. Half kid. Now listen, the Bible says take care of your ministers. I live by a certain amount. We don't ask for more. We've always had it from day one. Never got a raise. Now listen to me right here. I started looking at $650,000 homes. It's proved. It's there. The budget's there. It's not that big of a deal for us and as a church because we've been thinking about it for a while. But you know what? I didn't find it. I didn't find it. Came to this last place we were looking at, five acres, a little bit far from the church, had a beautiful house, everything you would want. Definitely would make you say, oh, my path, or look at him. He lives there. It would be one of those houses. But when we got the inspection back, it just didn't feel right. Now, at this point, I could have said to myself, I'm going to push this thing further than what I feel peace over because I need this house. It's a status symbol. I'll have the farm in the back. I'll be giving out free eggs and, and you know, milk to y'all. I'll be selling them to the local restaurants there, get a little side hustle, bring the kids out. My neighbor had a horse, okay? Bring the kids out, have them riding horses, okay? For some of y'all, I'm going to put you on the little ponies just to mess with you and you come over, okay? But anyways, uh, I could have did all that, but you know what the Lord said? I want you to circle back around. The only reason why I was looking for a house is because the place I was renting went up for sale. He had been in that house for a long time. He spent 515000 on it, and the economy crushed it to around three sixty. And now the economy went up. He wanted about four forty for it. All of these homes in the budget that was set, six fifty. the Lord says, circle back around to this house. And the Lord said, this is your house. Somebody say, this is your house. Now, at this moment, I had a choice. I could try to increase myself and say, but this is not the budget. The budget was prayerfully set by the elders at the beginning of the year with our savings and with our monthly income at 650000 Jesus, just let me keep looking because I will make this happen. I will find one that will happen for me. Or I could have did what my wife and I prayed about, decreased, and said, Lord, well... If you said the 440,000 one is where we're supposed to be, 
And that saves the church 200000 on a loan and keeps that money back in the bank so I can take care of the person that's hating on me right now It's going to ask the church for $1,000 to help them out to see how much we care about them so that I can help them and keep helping people. Then we're going to do that. And you know what Jesus said to me? I'm going to give you peace like you have never felt in this home, home buying situation. And where is my wife? She's already clapping. Did not God bring a sense of peace that 200000 extra budget would not have brought us? The moment the offer was accepted, the peace came. See, now this is the question I want to ask you all right now. What are you going to do with your budget? What are you going to do with the plans that God has for you? Because some of you are looking at things right now, and you're saying, oh, God, if we had this, if I had this, if I had this relationship, if I had this job, oh, if I lived over here, God, I would be so much more happier. God, if I had this, and God is saying, no, there's something for you right here, and I want you to have it, and this will bring you peace. That is going to bring you stress. And I look at the flesh as exactly that. We've been going through the book of Galatians. And the book of Galatians basically says sex inside of marriage, that's where the peace is at. Sex outside of marriage, that's where you're going to lose your mind and some other things. Can I hear an amen? The Bible then says that loving your neighbor as yourself, even your enemy, you know, withstanding against bitterness, giving forgiveness to those who don't deserve it, will bring you peace. But if you hold on to it, you'll become wrathful, seditious, upset, and angry. The Bible is teaching us from the deeds of the Spirit versus the flesh. What are you going to put your faith in to trust God for the things that you want the most? Because everything that we see the flesh is offering us is actually something that we do want and desire. And in many ways comes from a true desire. The sexual perversion coming from a true desire to be sexual because we were created to be sexual beings. But if we do it the wrong way, and the wrong way may be even approved and be celebrated by the world, but if we do it the wrong way, we lose our soul. Your coworker may want to gossip and it will make you feel better and possibly even give you a promotion on the job because you've gotten so good at it, but it will destroy your soul. We just learned about the deeds of the flesh. And look at what Galatians chapter 1 says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Notice that after the discussion about you and I making the right choices over the wrong choices, Galatians chapter 6 starts off by saying, hey, and if some of you all sin, you better be ready to restore each other. Can I tell you a horror story? It's not the kind that has ghosts and goblins, but it's the kind that brought me to Peter Geraci. Does anybody know who Peter Geraci is? Bankruptcy. We were in this building about seven, eight years ago. Church wasn't even half the size it is now in one service. Two services filling up. Thank you for coming by God's grace. We're going to keep being a great church in 2022. Let God do what only he can do. Amen? But I also want to thank you in 2022. Now listen, back then, we just started to grow, 50, 60, 70 people. But I thought to myself, man, look at this storefront. We need something that has a little bit notoriety. we got to be seen, not off of Diversity Street. We need a bigger street to be on. We've got to have more space. We've got to have more offices. That office is the size of a closet, and thank God I'm not taking confessions in there. Amen? Come up to that closet, get a confession. We ain't doing that here. Talk to Jesus. Amen? And so we just began to feel a certain way. But I, out of my own desire, a lot less gray hair back then, said, man, I see what God's doing. He's setting us up for success. So during one of the worst times of the economy, 
I go out and take on a building that's much bigger than this building, but is about five times the cost of this building. We pay $2,500 to be in this building right now. The starting rent over there was 10000 moving up to 12000 But I said, won't he do it? Come on, how many of you have ever had a certain kind of faith, but it wasn't biblical faith? It was kind of like throwing a quarter into a wishing wheel kind of faith. Won't he do it? God will take care of me. I'm a king's kid. I can't go wrong in this. God let me walk out on water even though he wasn't calling me out the boat. See, one time he called Peter out the boat, but imagine Peter just on another day. They're all out there on the boat. Peter's just like, here I come, Jesus. And Jesus is like, hold on. Peter, I'm still here in the boat. I haven't called you out there. What are you doing? We don't walk on the water every time we take the boat. Peter out there drowning. Well, I just thought it would be time to do it again. See, I thought I'm just whatever I can imagine for the things of God, it can't go wrong because I'm a king's kid. Right around 2008, 2009, we're doing this. Economy's crashing, people in the church losing their jobs, and no one is helping us out because I don't have a denomination. So I go to negotiate with the people as a pastor. I say, listen, man, here's our books. Here, here's our accountant statements. This is all that we have. Can you please help us? And they say, sure, we'll help you out, but we're going to put it on the back end. Somebody say the back end. Y'all got quiet when I said back end. Somebody say put it on the back end. That means whatever they deduct from the rent now, they're putting it where? So I still got to pay it, right? They don't care if there's a recession. Guess what happened? We couldn't make the payments. This church right here. I know we're making room for others to sit down, but please hear my heart. This is one of the hardest times of my life. We're not able to make these payments. We're struggling. So I come to them because I don't want to owe a person anything. I say, listen, this is the last month of rent I can give you at this cost. After this, I have nothing more to give you. The church's bank account is at zero. I don't have anything to give. Would you please just let us leave the building? Now imagine a pastor saying this to a businessman. Can you imagine how humbled I was? Can you imagine how embarrassed I was after knowing the reputation of churches with people? Are you guys listening to me? I was working in the Bible college so that I could have money. I worked more not getting paid than what we are getting paid now, if you all don't know that, okay? I said, look, man, we'll take the signs off the doors. I will, I will paint whatever little thing we put up, you know, repair the wall. I said, please, this is all that I ask. You just let me just walk away with this church. He said, I'm going to sue you and the church. I said, dear God, have mercy. So I called up our lawyer that I usually had for other times, and I say, man, this is where we're at. Can you please write a letter? He said, yeah, let, let, let them know, and we'll certify it. This is what you have in the account. These are the personal assets that you have as a pastor. Here's it, here it is. Please let us go. Do not sue us. There is no reason to sue us. I was driving a station wagon at that time that was given to me by my parents, the church had a church van and the sound system. That's all we had, some chairs. And I said, look, man, you can have it all. Just don't sue us. Man showed no mercy. He said, you break this lease, I'm suing you. We then broke the lease because we couldn't afford it. I wouldn't stay there a day beyond what I could pay for. I paid that last month and we left. Church had to claim bankruptcy. You ever heard anything like that? Good church. And then what did I say at the very beginning? I had to show up, I had to, show up to Peter Geraci. I'm sitting in Peter Geraci's office with over a half a million, because that was that back end he was talking about, and the baby got back. Are you listening? That was that big old back end that I had to work with. It was all there, every penny of it, and they're looking at me going, 
Why in the world are you as an individual responsible for Metro Praise and a half a million dollars? What is Metro Praise anyway? Is that a record label? What is that? I said, that's my church. So you owed Metro Praise a half a million dollars? No, I co-signed my name for the church I pastor for the rent on a building. Every person I talked to, I wish I would have met Peter Geraci. I would have cried a tear for him. But every person that I met in Peter Geraci's office, after I had to tell him the story, as you go through all the paperwork, they said, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. It seems like you're a genuine person. I'm sorry that you went through that. And I declare bankruptcy. At that point, I'm looking for another place to stay. And I asked my parents who live in Fort Wayne, Indiana, Dad, can I bring my four kids to come live in your house? My parents are Christian, by the way. Can I come live in your house with four kids just so I can have a peace of mind that if I have to come back to church on the weekends, I can, but I know that I have a place to stay. You know what my Christian dad told me? No, I'm not feeling that. My dad has a house bigger than the one I have now. I rebuked my dad so many times, I yelled at him, I hung up at him. He's apologized since then. But I just want to tell you the truth of the story. My own Christian father forsook me, and I said, you just fulfilled the Bible, even though my mother and father forsake me. Thank you, Dad. You've proven true the Scriptures once again. I'm telling you, he's apologized for this. He tries to say, well, I was just testing your faith. The Lord wanted you to find there's another way. No, 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 no. You don't get out that way. You were scared taking all of our family and you didn't want to touch this. It was Ichabod. Joe failed as a pastor, now trying to move his family back into my house. Y'all figure it out. I talked to our elders and I said, hey, I still want to pastor you. Let's go back to this location, which you're in right now. Let's see if we can start again and not give up and see what God has for us. I'm down. Are you down? And they said, let's go back. Church began to grow. But the recession was still happening. And so yet, even in this location at 2,500, imagine how bad it was that we lost all of our savings, had to restart under a new name, add international to it. Went from Metro Praise to Metro Praise International. We added the nations, amen? And here we are now with only 2,500 of rent, and I'm looking at the budget, and I'm like, dear God, I don't know if we're going to make this. That's how bad the recession was. Some of you all know what I'm talking about. That's how bad it was. I said, I don't even know if we're going to make this. I looked at two of my elders, and I said, me and you two, let's put the church in our homes if we have to. We'll say on Sundays, we divide up among three families. Some come to my house, some come to your house, some come to the other house. Run brother looked at me, and he said, man, if we come to that, that's a sign the church is done. The other brother looked me right in the eyes, and he said, I'm here. Let's go. That brother's still in my life. The other one's a coward and left over other reasons. God exposed his heart. Are you listening to me? And when he left this church, this is literally what he said to me. As I'm, it was during the Black Lives Matter stuff. He literally, while he was leaving the church, he says, you're not going to want to hear this. You're going to wish that I was that brother. Because that brother has had to move. He was in the military. He's gonna, he said to me, you're going to wish what I say to you wasn't true and that this brother was here instead of me. That's how he started his cowardly statement to me. Are you all listening to me? But when that time came and I said, brothers, I'm ready to go, but let's go back into this word. Let's go back onto the streets. 
Let's not ask the people for four and five offerings. And every person that's ever been a part of this church will tell you the offerings have always been the same. Never begged one dollar. Never made any person feel bad while I was going through all of that. Matter of fact, unless you were an elder or somebody in our life, you didn't even really know much of what was going on because I didn't talk to it. I remember sitting down with one pastor. Listen to me. During this time, I remember sitting down with one pastor, and this is what he said to me. Man, I just had this one brother give me $5,000. He's a new church planner. He said, I just sat down with this one brother. He gave me $5,000 so I could start the church. But this family, they're causing me so many problems. I don't know if I should give the $5,000 back and just quit the church or whether or not I should stick it through because this family's causing me so much problems. After he got done telling me about that, I said, brother, tell those people to leave the church Cash that check and go on without them. God just gave you their tithe for the next five, ten years, if even that, maybe 20 years. Are you listening? And then, you know, he looked at me and he said, oh, and what's going on in your life? I said, oh, the church just went bankrupt, got closed down. I've had to meet with Peter Geraci. I don't know if I'm going to have to meet now in each other's homes, but praise God, I'm going to make it. He literally looked at me. I was at Cozy Corner right over there. He looked at me and he said, why weren't we talking about that the whole time? I said, because there's nothing to talk about. God already settled it. I'm going forward, live or die. This is where I'm at. Now, why did I tell you that? Because as we get into this lesson today, you're going to have to make a decision how you trust God and the decisions of your life. Some of the decisions might be your mistake. See, that was my mistake. What did I learn out of that situation? What I learned out of that situation was, Joe, don't sign your name for a church that's bigger than your finances. I can sign my name for you if we're talking about getting you a pair of shoes. Yeah, he's good for it. I can't sign my name for no half a million dollars. I don't even have a quarter of a million dollars. Are you, I don't have a tenth of a million dollars, number one. Number two, never move out of desperation. In that time when we were negotiating, I was desperate because I wanted to have something to look good on the outside. How many of you have gotten into relationships out of desperation? How many of you have done things in this world because you wanted to look good on the outside? Don't let this preacher just testify by myself today. Now, I want you to hear what Paul says here. He says, if you caught in a sin, restore that person gently. I came back to every single one of the elders. And I never said, and, and, and Cynthia, would you raise your hand? You're the only one I see here that's an elder. Berto is somewhere around here doing what Berto does. God bless him. He's, he's doing what Berto, amen. You back there. I know you're handling it. Thank you. I never came to them and said, but, 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 but if you did this, then I wouldn't have had to do that. But, 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 but if you would have said this, I wouldn't have had to say this. I came to them and I said, Brothers, sisters, I'm sorry. I messed up. Will you forgive me? I learned my lessons. I want us to grow out of this. I want accountability to come out of this. And I said, I'll give you my word that as a pastor, I'll never make that mistake again. Last year, by God's grace, we brought in over $750,000. That mistake has never been made again. We have over $400,000 in savings. That's why we can get a house. Are you listening to me? But I'm still saving right now. That's why when we look at the inflation of the market, I said, let's raise this money for the van, but we're not buying it until I see that inflation come down. I'll pick them up in my car if I have to because I'm not paying 30 40%. And that's why I feel when God said, look, look, that 650000 is yours as a budget. But he said, do you want what it buys now? Because it doesn't buy what 650 can buy. 
You're buying what really only 500,000 can buy. And that's when I said, oh, Lord, you made a point. How many know the Lord's smart? And then they appraised the house that I bought last week at 440. They appraised it that week. You know what they appraised it at? 458 coming into the house with 18,000 of equity. The banker said to me, do you want to take out that 18 G's on loan because interest rates are low? I said, baby, we only mess with cash. And I want to cash this out in no time. I got some of the gray-haired adults listening to me. 18,000 on equity today, you buy something that's not bad in a market where everybody's paying over. Overvalue, are you listening? I'm boasting in the Lord, but I'm also boasting in my mistakes because that's the only thing I can boast in is how wrong I've been at times. But God's goodness helped me when I was that wrong. You see what it says? If you're caught in a sin, you ought to be restored. And people ought to restore you gently. I've only made myself a mess. But every time with God, he cleans it up and he makes me into a masterpiece. How many know you'll make yourself a mess, but he'll make you into a masterpiece? I just told you a testimony, and you're not shouting like it was your testimony. You must think my name's on this door. This is your church. This is your steeple, and you're the people. Now, if God did it in your church, don't you think he'll do it for you? Don't you think he'll take care of you and your family? I've talked to single mothers at these altars, and they have said to me, nobody wants me now. Nobody wants me now. I've had children. I've had baby daddies. Nobody wants me now. And I've told them, and I've looked them in the eye, and I said, you might have had baby daddies, but God's going to give you a husband. And I've married those very single mamas, and I've seen them be married to men of God and have a family for their children and see what today the perfect uh, couple never have. In other words, I've seen these kind of like dating shows, if I can tell on myself. I sometimes watch things other than the Bible show. I was watching this show, Joe Millionaire. They have a rich guy. They have a poor guy, and they're kind of competing with these ladies. It's like a bachelor, but it has a little twist to it. They don't know who the rich guy is. I know I got some of you intrigued now, right? It's like a commercial in church for the Joe Millionaire. Most of it's okay. Some of it's inappropriate. I fast forward. God protect our eyes and our heart. But one of these dudes, who's actually the poor guy, was dating a young lady, and she said, oh, I got a baby. I got a kid. And then this guy, all stuck up with his nose in the air, goes into the confessional and says, oh, I don't know if I can handle that. Dude, you've probably already had three abortion, two STDs. You probably are on three depression medications because of the sexual trauma you've caused and have caused. And now a woman with a child is freaking you out? That's how the world still, in our culture, still treats women with children. Are you listening to me? And yet I've seen God take single family, a single family mothers, and bring them into the family with their husband. I've seen men here tell me. Men have talked to me with tears in their eyes. Matter of fact, one of them during that time at the recession met me right here. He was doing um, handcrafted cabinetry for the different leaders and movers and shakers of our city. He had actually done the governor's, uh, uh, Begoljevich, had done, I believe, his uh, you know, custom-made cabinetry. He was sitting at, uh, standing at the altar with tears streaming down his eyes going, I gotta lose, I'm going to lose my business. i got to shut this whole thing down. I just talked to him the, the other year. He went to another business. He had the best year of his life last year in business. But I saw him breaking down. Are you listening to me? I've talked to pastors who feel like quitting on the ministry because of either the mistakes they've made or others made and give it all up right before their breakthrough comes. 
The Bible teaches us that oftentimes the darkest time of night is right before the day and the dawn begins to come. Oftentimes when you and I feel like this is the only way for us and we have to give in to that sin and temptation, it's because we do not see that the path that is going to come before us is in the next step. And we get discouraged and close the door on that hope that things can change. In other words, we let our circumstances dictate our identity. And so what I'm saying to you today is even if you sin, even if you mess up, don't give up. Somebody say, don't give up. God wants to restore you gently. God wants to lift you up. God wants to give you a second try. My parents are on their second marriage, and it's the best marriage they've ever had. It's lasted almost 50 years. I'm not saying I promote divorce. I'm just saying if you've gone through a divorce, your second marriage can be the greatest marriage of your life. You can beat the statistics. Teenagers, some of you right now are making decisions based on your friends and who's going to be there with you, and you need to get away from that and trust the Lord right now that even if you have to walk alone through the remaining years of your senior year and pick a school that maybe your parents aren't the most happy with, if God is with you, you will experience a purpose and a destiny that you have never thought, heard, or imagined. It will be greater than anything you can think about. But you got to be willing to admit your mistakes. Amen? But watch yourselves or you also will be tempted. Notice this, brothers and sisters, if you see somebody in a sin, restore them gently. But if you are not careful, you yourselves may be tempted. Now look at the neighbor, look around right now, look at a neighbor. Pick the neighbor you like the most and say to that neighbor, say, I got your back. You better talk to a neighbor. Even if you don't want to play my game about picking the neighbor you like the most, pick a neighbor, say, I got your back. Now look at your other neighbor, that other one, and say, you better help yourself. <laughs> you better take care of yourself. <laughs> no, I'm serious. You be- it's in church. I'm not going to hurt you. You got to do it, right? It's in church. No, I'm kidding. Never listen to the pastor unless it hurt, if it hurts you or causes you false doctrine. But play along. Look at that other neighbor that you really like and say, I got your back. Come on, look at him. Now tell that other one. You better tell that other one. Come on, tell that. Oh, thank you. You better take care of yourself. <laughs> See, what I'm going to teach you is both are true. I'm going to teach you both are true in the scriptures. Are you all ready? Carry each other's burdens. That's what we just said to that one that we said we like the most, right? Which we love everybody the same. I'm just teasing. Carry each other's burdens. What are we supposed to do? One, two, three. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love your neighbor as yourself. If anyone thinks, verse 3, they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own burden. Put them both up there so we can see them nice and clearly, good sir. Thank you. For each one should what? Carry their own load. But hold on, I thought it said just in the, the prior verse there that I'm going to carry a burden with you. Aren't you glad you came to church? Now you're confused. The Bible's contradicted itself. Amen. Let's sing a song and close in prayer. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Highlight that, please, as we get ready to take up our third pastor's offering today. We got an anniversary for the pastor. We got a birthday to catch up to. Come on. Have you ever been to churches like that? Pastor's anniversary, pastor's birthday. Pastor's anniversary at being at the church. Pastor's anniversary of first thinking about starting the church. 
pastor's anniversary of the anniversary of when he thought about coming to the church. Pastor's birthday, pastor's wife's birthday, pastor's first wife's birthday, but give checks to the pastor. But look at what it says in, in, in honesty. What does it say, though? Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction from the word, is that what I'm giving you today? Or am I just giving you what I think is true? I'm giving you the word, right? Should share all good things with their instructor. Am I an instructor? Am I an instructor? Yes or no? You got some good things to share? Amen. Let's talk about it. Let's share some stuff. I want to share some stuff. I want to share some time with you. I want to share a meal with you. I want to share hanging out. That's all I want. Just your time and just your love. Amen. But that's what it says. Now look at those parts that we highlight as we get into the message. We are to carry each other's burden and we are to carry our own burden. Those stories that I gave you at the beginning lead into this message. You see, there are times that I needed people to carry burdens with me. And then there were times that I needed people to let me carry that burden on my own. There will be times in your life that God is going to call you to come alongside of people and carry their burden. You are going to be there at 3 in the morning for them. You're going to come pick them up. You're going to take them out for coffee. You are going to make sure that they know they are loved and cared for. Other times, you're going to block their number. Can I be real? <laughs> Can I be real in the church today? Have you ever had to block somebody that you used to help? Because they took advantage of the help, and they wanted something not really like help. They wanted something like suckling. They just wanted to take and take and take. Like their name was Jimmy, and they'll take all you can give me. I'm not the only one, am I, that people have taken advantage of you? So there's going to be a time in your life where you are going to say, look, man, I got your back. We are going through this together, come hell or high water. And then there's going to be another time you're going to look at those same people, and you're going to say, you better take care of this. You better handle this because you're in a situation, you're going through things now that I cannot get you out of. Maybe to the defense of my dad, that was what he thought he was doing that day. Let God be his judge, right? Was he supposed to carry the burden or say, son, you carry that burden? But how many know that you are never alone in the body of Christ? Because Jesus Christ is the head of the body, isn't he? So even if I can't carry that burden for you, will not Jesus be with you to carry the burden? Does not the scripture say he came to his disciples and he said, all of you with heavy burdens come unto me. And find rest for your soul. Take my yoke, my burden upon you, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. Can I hear an amen that Jesus is always there? But I'm going to tell you, I'm not always going to be there. I know, I know that is not fair. You helped me buy a house, and you ought to have the code to get into that house, the address, and to show up whenever you want, right? Because that's what I'm here for, right? I mean, let's just be honest. Isn't that what I'm here for? And that person that said they got your back, aren't they supposed to be there every time you call? Because otherwise they're a hypocrite. God forbid that they're at their birthday party with their child when you're calling up about your baby mama drama. <laughs> but they should stop that, right, and just take that call every single time, right? That's how people think. I began to stop doing that when I realized, listen, that people cared not about me and my family. They only cared about themselves. I say this not to get your pity, but to tell you what it is like as pastors. Imagine this. My daughter, Zoe, one of them sitting on the floor over there. Where are you at, Zoe? Or where does she go? There you go. Hey, buddy, come on up here. 
Good to see you. I bet you weren't expecting that. This one right here may pretend to be shy, but she'll preach right now if I gave her this mic. This one's the, this one's the go-getter. This might bring tears to my eyes. Every birthday, there are treats that come to my children. How many know birthdays are a big deal if you're a parent? You better make them a big deal. Even if you don't got money, make them a big deal. You know, just decorate the whole house with paper you got at Walgreens and color, and that will be enough. You know, get some ice cream. That's it. Just tell them you love them. So this one right here, she got to pick one of the things, and it was a daddy-daughter date at Chuck E. Cheese all by herself, just with her and daddy. At this same moment, one of our leaders in the church who had kept secret their sin felt that it was a good time now to confess it and expose it and blow up every ministry that they were in. The opposite of the Midas touch, this is Diablo's touch. Turn everything into the devil. This one's in the car, and I'm getting the calls. He only wants to talk to you. The wife is saying this. You got to get them on the phone. I'm in the car heading to Chuck E. Cheese. I mean, do you see the visual here? I already have on the goofy smile. I'm already playing the silly music in the car because they get to pick the music. I sat in my car for over an hour in the parking lot. I'll cry right now telling you this. Of Chuck E. Cheese. And she fell asleep. And the man still left the church. I said, I'm done with that. Give it up for this daughter. She still went and had a good time. Church kids. Church kids. We may be crazy, but we don't cuss. Church kids. <laughs> church will sometimes make you crazy, won't it? I'm looking at my oldest right there. That's when I realized, er, put on the brakes. I don't need to be the one in this phone call. I don't care how important they think I am to them. If Birdo or the other pastor can't settle it, I already know they're offended or bothered that it's their sin causing the issue. And now we have to rebuke them. Let them go then. I'm going to Chuck E. Cheese. You will be shocked on how much I can care about you, but still sleep at night after you try to manipulate me because I don't care anymore. And I think some of you need to be free from the manipulation of what other people are saying. Now, there's another group of you who just don't care because you don't care. You just don't care. You could give them a ride, but you're not giving them a ride. Nobody gave me a ride. I'm not giving you a ride to church. Cut the bus. I caught the bus for five years. I caught it when it was six feet of snow. You don't know what I want. I'm not coming to pick you up. You don't even say thank you. You don't give me nothing. You go do that with the Uber because you don't care about anybody. Well, I worked hard for this. That's why now I'm going to sell my toaster for $5. I can't give it away. I have to get $5 for my toaster. I can't do this. I can't do it because people don't know how much I paid for everything that I did to earn this. And you think you're the only one with problems? Well, let me tell you my problems. I'm not going to sit here and listen to you talk and talk and talk. My dad, you know what my dad did for a living? He was a financial planner. That means people with wealth would come to him and he would plan it out. You had to pay for his time to, for him to decide what to do with your money. Think about that gig. Hey, man, let me give you $1,000 so you could tell me what I do with a million dollars, and then you make a commission. Somebody should look into that business. Financial planners. My dad's time was worth money. You didn't just sit down in my dad's office and say, hey, Jim, 
uh, you know, uh, I'm getting a tax return. A couple thousand dollars already went to H&R Block, got some things planned out for that bad boy, but I uh, just want to know what you think I should do with it. That's not what you do with my dad's time. The secretary wouldn't even let you through the door. Are you guys tracking with me? But my dad loves Jesus. He loves ministry. So he was always a part of churches like this where you knew Jim. You hung out with Jim. You rubbed elbows with Jim. You know what I saw my dad doing throughout his life? My dad would lend out the caddy to people in the church to go to a job interview. But he wouldn't give me a place to stay. We've got to keep talking about that. <laughs> my dad would lend out the caddy. One time I came home from Bible college, I said, Dad, where's the Seville? Where's the Cadillac? He said, oh, I let so-and-so from the church borrow. They had a job interview up in Indy. I'm like, man, I had, to, I had to get straight A's. I had to sign over my life for you to even drive, and you would still sit in the back seat. Seriously, man, but he would do that. But listen, my dad said when he talked about when he retired, he refired for Jesus. He gave his whole life to ministry to give away anything he could that he would have. You know what he said? The number one thing he learned about ministry after being in business almost uh, 40 years or plus 40 years, you know what he said? Ministry is inconvenient. <laughs> He said, man, I'll meet these people at a McDonald's. They won't even show up. You're thinking that they're running with the mayor. They're the president. These people don't even have a job. <laughs> and they don't even show up and let me know they're not coming. I'm waiting to do a Bible study with them. I'll bring people into my house. My wife will prepare a meal because, you know, mama's got to do things right. It doesn't even matter if it was a Bible study. Mom had to prepare everything. So-and-so's coming over. And then people wouldn't even show up. He said, Joe, now I know why ministers deal with so much craziness. Because ministry is crazy. But you know what my freedom from craziness is? It's trusting people to carry their own burdens when it's time. So you need to know the balance in your life. When is it my time to get your back? When am I going to come alongside of you and help you? When am I going to get involved into your mess, dig you out, carry that burden with you? You need to ask that question for others as well in your life. When is it my job to do this? And then other times you need to be able to say, you know what? You need to carry your own burden. Because if you don't get your life right, you're going to go to hell and you can't blame me. I want everybody to listen to me. I made this decision a long time ago. I don't care who commits suicide. They're still going to hell and you won't blame me. Well, I'll commit suicide unless this happens. Then you go to hell and see what happens. This is how we're handling the situation. You know why I had to make that decision as a pastor? Because pastors told me that they had people commit suicide in their ministry and they went, never went back to ministry. Man, you commit suicide, I'll sleep good at night, I'll come back here and preach the living God of heaven and earth. No person and their burden will take me away from Jesus, but I will help you. You need help with suicide, we pay for counseling here if the pastoral counseling doesn't work, right? You know that in this church, we'll pay for counseling. We do it all the time. Hey, man, we try to sit down with you, man, your, seem, your issues seem a little deep. Professional counseling, boom, go ahead and do it. But after that, you still want to commit suicide and you want to say the pastor didn't do this or they made me feel bad because I was gay and I didn't love myself and this and that, man, you can go to hell on your own then if you want. Because if you're not happy, listen, everybody, with carrying that burden with Jesus, you're not going to be happy with me and drag me down than with you. Because I'm happy with Jesus. Is everybody tracking with me? See, as I was tying in some of those stories earlier, let me just tell you, I was happy with Jesus when I lived on Addison and Grace Street over here in a two-bedroom apartment. I was happy with Jesus when I was living on Lawndale and Potomac. I was happy when I was living in New, um, uh, Newland. I was happy in Harwood Heights. I was happy in Elgin. I'll be happy with Jesus. I was talking to our missionary pastor, Ray, from the Philippines today. 
And he said, Joe, we got to get you to the Philippines. And I said, I'm ready to go. I've already been to India three times. I've been to Mexico and different things. I said, I'm ready to go. And when I mean ready to go, as the Lord leads, I'm not just talking about I'm ready to go say hi, get some good food, take some pictures with some children and send them back to you. I'm talking about not coming back. I'm willing to live within an inch of the dumps of the Philippines right now and minister to orphanages. One of the missionaries that we support, Tisa and Jean, how many know them? Work with the missionaries, uh, work with the people and the, uh, the AIDS and the sex tra- tra- trafficking victims of South Africa. She always checks my heart and she says, Pastor, I got to look inside your heart to make sure you're not letting the American dream take you away. And when she saw our church getting blessed and growing and all those things, she said, I saw that you were willing to give it all up when you went to the Black Lives Matter stuff, when you preached the gospel. You were willing to say, hey, shut down the church if you want, put us all in jail, but I'm willing to serve Jesus. Amen? And so I want to ask you that question. What are you willing to do for the Lord? Because that day I decided to go show up and preach the gospel in front of Nini's. I laid down my entire career in front of this city. I didn't know you all would come back. When I had canceled that service because of bomb threats, there was only four or five people here. How did I know you would ever come back? When they told us that I was killing grandma because we were having service during COVID, how did I know that you weren't going to blame me for grandma and never come back? Why is this church filled today? Why are we still growing? Why is God being merciful? Because when we've made mistakes, we got back up and got done the job that the Lord called us to do. We, didn't, we got knocked down, but we didn't stay down. And there's been people that have come alongside of us, and they've carried burden with us. And other times they said, carry your own burden. And now I want to speak that over individuals, not just your church, which I love using this as an example. But there's going to be times where we're going to come alongside of you, and we're going to help you. And there's going to be times you've got to carry your burden. As I talked about before, the single moms, I love single moms, and we help them. But you know what? Sometimes single moms, what they want in the church, they want the, parent, the pastor to be that surrogate daddy. And they start coming to me. And listen, that's why a lot of churches are filled with unhappy women. Haven't you seen churches with a lot of women in the, in the church? It's because women want a pastor to then breastfeed them the things that they're not getting from a man. And there's a codependency that happens between the church and, the, and that woman. And that's why a pastor is so easily involved in relationships because all he has to do is be the savior of a woman. And I found that early on when single moms always wanted me to be a certain thing for them. I always said, I'll help you with the kids. I'll take them out. This is what I do with kids. You want to know what I do with kids? I play sports with them. I take them snowboarding. I make them scream a lot at roller coasters, and then I hand them back. That's it, okay? Any single mom want me to spend time with your kids, get them to do something that I'm doing like that, we'll do it. If they're doing something different, I'll try to find out what they're doing. But I'm not going to sit and babysit them because those are your kids. They need to honor and respect you. And there may be a man in this church that's going to take that opportunity to raise them up. But until then, you're not alone. Jesus Christ is with you. Other things that I see in this church is that people want things out of the church that only God can give. Only God can give you peace in your marriage. You know how many marriage conferences I've done? You know how many? Guess how many? None. You know how many I've attended? Zero. I've got marriage. I got a marriage that's outlasted the marriage conference speaker. <laughs> are you listening to me? I know marriage conference speakers that are already divorced, and I'm still clicking and ticking, baby. I'm still here moving and grooving. I know people that have already wrote their books about marriage and are already on their second marriage. Now, why is it I, do I have a problem with conferences? No, because I believe that those can help people. Don't get me wrong. There's a carrying of, of each other's burden thing going on there. But let me help everyone here just to encourage you without being sassy. What will make the difference on whether or not you have a happy marriage is whether or not each one of you know how to carry your burdens every day to the Lord. 
Because if you bring your burdens to your spouse, which are supposed to be brought to the Lord, no one can take that place of Jesus and do that for you. But what about the times, Pastor, when we're supposed to carry them? Yeah, you carry them together. There were times during this situation looking for a house that when my wife and I talked, we were on totally two different pages. Every one of the houses that we looked at, my wife nested in, already had the future planned out and the carpet with the paint. Seriously. My wife would come to me with a house, and she would, oh, we can make this one work, right, right on the red fin or whatever these, uh, Zillow. Look, we can make this work. We can make this work. That last one that I moved out of, uh, you know, uh, after the inspection we didn't like, my wife was like, man, I, I still think we can do it. I still think we can do it. Why? Because she wanted to nest. But I couldn't bring that burden to her. I had to bring it to Jesus. I said to my wife, because one time she said, man, I, you know, this is what we need. This is what she said to me. I, I, you know, I need a, a, this for the kids, and I need this, and, and, and God bless her for all that she does, okay? And she said, I need this, and I need that. And she's not here, by the way, so I'm going to really tell you the truth. Um, she just stepped away, thank God. Taking care of one of my six kids, of course. I'm sure there's somebody here that will be sassy for her after the service if you don't think she's sassy enough with me. Um, she said, oh, I need this, I need this. You know what the Lord put in my heart to say back to her? I just need the will of God. I just need the will of God. I don't necessarily need five bedrooms. I don't necessarily need a farm. I don't necessarily need this. I don't need, I need the will of God. That's what I need. I just need God's will. If, if it's God's will for me to move back to put Lawndale and Potomac, I'm going there right now. I'm going there right now. And when I lived there, nobody thought I was more of a holier pastor anyways, by the way. Okay. Well, Pastor, if you lived in the city and suffered with us, we'd respect you a lot more. I had people tell me that. Listen, dude, when I lived in the city and people threw bricks at a guy's uh, car that I was driving back with from a Bible study, nobody at the church gave me a star next to my name that day, Okay. Literally, people have told me that they won't respect you if you don't live in the city. Man, they'll respect me when I come to the city and preach the gospel because that's what I came to do. Amen? And if you want to live on the suburbs, come and live out in the suburbs. But a church alive is worth the drive. You don't need them suburban churches. Come back to the city. Amen? But let me just help somebody here get free. You better figure it out because if you don't, you're going to be disgruntled in life. Well, my marriage doesn't work. It's his fault. No, it's your fault. You don't take your burdens to Jesus. A woman who is not abused physically or mentally, not talking about abuse, let's be very clear. We are your advocate here. If you are, see us now. We'll help you. Women who are not being abused in a marriage but are struggling with the husband getting it are themselves struggling with having a faith that trusts Jesus gets it. Because I have watched women of God, and I don't want to tell too much of Cynthia's testimony, but Cynthia, one of the elders of our church, has been married to an unbeliever ever since I've known her, and yet I have never seen her complain about whether or not her husband meets her needs. Because she is a woman of God that has her needs met by God, and then in her marriage, they can work through that with a proper understanding. Am I not telling the truth? Because if she came to that husband every day and said, well, I need you to be a godly type husband that does godly type church things, or I'm out of here because my needs are not met, then she would not be doing what the Bible says. The Bible says she's only permitted to get a divorce if that unbeliever chooses to leave her or cheats on her, and in the sense of abuse is also leaving neglect. Are you guys listening to me? So I've seen godly people stick through tough marriages not because uh, they had a, a pity patty party for themselves, but because they understood this one does not know how to pray, but I know how to pray, and Jesus will carry my burden today. That's it. And some of you, I want to be very honest with you, it may not be with your spouse, it may be with your parents. 
Some of you live with parents that are not Christians, and you're saying to yourself, man, if I just had my mom to help me through this situation, if I just had my mom to carry the burden, I can make it. That is not true. Let me tell you the both sides of that coin. I have friends right now that are probably already in hell, though I don't know their last moments on earth, but they're probably already in hell because they're dead. And they died as sinners, but they were raised in godly families where the parents are still married to this day going to church. Going to church with your family will not make you as a young adult choose to serve Christ. It will help. It will raise you up. And when it says that when you're old, you will not depart, I believe that means in your mind. You will carry in your consciousness the things of God. But even Jesus lost Judas. Even Jesus lost others. Jesus knows you can be lost from your family. So take serious what you do. Right? Everybody tracking with me? And on the other side, somebody say Joe from the Calio. Joe from the Calio was one of my first disciples in the Calio projects where Master P was from. Anybody remember Master P? Yeah, some people know them. No Limit Soldiers and all these guys. They were friends with the Hot Boys. That's, that's where I grew up in, okay? And, uh, and I was in ministry during that time as well. Guess what? Joe from the Calio. I talked to him one day. You know what he says to me? He's in my discipleship. You know what he says to me? So true, man. Bring tears to my eyes. I never want to take it for granted. He said... Is it okay that I do my devotionals and studies in the bathroom? And he wasn't really a jokester, so I was like, yeah, but why? Why are you doing that? He said, because my mom has men over to do drugs. And he didn't have to say more, but probably in exchange for sex. And he said, is it okay if I do my devotions in the bathroom? I said, absolutely, man of God, but you can come over anytime. The other young man that you saw here a couple weeks ago, Jeffrey. Everybody remember Jeffrey? He was preaching and hollering up here. First time I met Jeffrey, Jeffrey was a product of the streets as a young man. Every one of his friends were selling or doing drugs on his street and around him. If you would have paid him to find a virgin, he could not have found one. If you would have paid him to find somebody not hustling, you could not, he couldn't have found one. Find me one of your friends that don't hustle and I'll give you 100 bucks. He couldn't have found it, every single one of them. And yet he made a choice to come to church, and he kept coming. So I want you to understand, I know environment is important, and those who have made bad environments will be held responsible. And those of us as parents who have made good, good environments, we are giving our children a leg up. Trust me, we will be rewarded for that. That should be our legacy. Our legacy is making a difference in the next generation. But... As strong as that is towards carrying others' burdens or others not carrying their burdens, children, young people, you got to make your own choice because you will go to heaven or hell, not based on what your dad did, but based on what you did. Well, I just wish this happened. I, I talk to people like that all the time when I meet them on the streets. Well, my, pa my, my parents were pastors, and they did this, or, or this situation happened. And now they think they almost get a get-out-of-hell-free card because their life was so terrible. Jesus is not going to play like that. Why? Because he said, when they were bad, I was good. When they let you down, I lifted you up. When they left you, I never forsook you. Why did you leave me? Isn't the scripture going to say, doesn't the Bible say, that's what he's going to say to them, depart from me, for I never knew you. Well, Jesus, it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. Someone was supposed to carry my burden. It wasn't fair. I carried your burden to the cross. Was that not good enough? Could you imagine on judgment day, any sinner looking towards Jesus and saying, that wasn't good enough. I needed something else. Could you imagine those with same-sex attraction looking at the cross of Jesus Christ going, not enough. 
That's not enough to change me. You failed. This is who I am. And you can't do anything about it. It's not enough. There's not enough power to change. Isn't that even just sickening to hear? But that's that's the, the heart of a sinful, prideful person. It's not enough. I need someone to spoon feed me Christianity. Even Jesus didn't do that. Do you remember the man who came to Jesus who was rich? And he said, man, good teacher, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And he said, look, you know, to keep all these commands. And he said, I do these things. And he said, look, now if you want to be perfect, somebody say perfect. You lack one thing, sell everything that you have, give it away to the poor and follow me. And what does the Bible say the rich man did? Turned away sad and walked away from Jesus. Did Jesus say Now, look, man, come on back here. I'm sorry about that, man. Look, I just didn't have enough hummus today. I'm a little hangry. Let me try this again. Let me try this again. Man, look, just just sell half of what you have. I know that's a lot for you. You know, that's enough. Or you know what? Did he say back to the rich man, hey, 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 you know what? You're not ready for me, but you know what? We're going to take steps because you're on a journey. Peter, go hang out with the rich man for a little bit. Don't talk to him anymore about my gospel because that will offend him. But I want you just to hang out and be his coffee buddy and friendship evangelism to the cross. Is that what Jesus said? No. Jesus said, man, it's so hard for them to enter. The kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And now, think about the disciples who just watched this. You literally just watched somebody come to Jesus and say, I want this, and him walk away sad. Don't you think somebody would give Jesus some hints here about how to be a people person, win friends, and make, you know, have influence and win friends? You can almost see Peter coming up to Jesus going, uh, Jesus, I know you're new at, you know, this kind of like, like uh, you know, multi-marketing thing, but I've been doing a little bit of plexus. I do, I do a little bit of herbal life. Let me tell you how this works, Jesus. Jesus, you don't, you, don't, you don't just cast a customer away like that, Jesus. Jesus, we start off little, and then we give them a little bit more, and then after that, they sell, and then what they sell, you know, we make money. Gee, that's what we do. Nothing wrong with market-level market, market level, uh, you know, marketing. What am I trying to say? Multi. Thank you. Multi-level marketing. Somebody's like, that's what you get, Joe, for making fun of it. No, listen. Multi-level marketing, nothing against it. But is that what Jesus said to do with Peter? No, he let him go, and now Peter's freaking out. Peter's just freaking out. Peter's like, whoa, whoa, who then can be saved? Jesus, if you're not even going to make the effort, watch this, Jesus, you're not going to make the effort to carry the load for this dude in this situation. I mean, think about it. You're asking him to do the most extreme thing, sell everything he has. He's already told you he believes in you, so you got a believer, and then he's, you're asking him to do the most extreme thing. You're not going to help this guy just lift a little bit? Peter goes, who then can be saved? And what is Jesus' response? With man, this is impossible. You don't get it. But with God, all things are possible. What Jesus was teaching that rich man is, you can only come to me if I am Lord of all. Either Christ is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. In closing today, this does not give us permission to not care about other people. Because Jesus on the cross, who was definitely having a bad day. How many believe he was having a bad weekend? Okay. Jesus having a bad day thinks about somebody else. Who is now basically saying, oops, 
I messed up. I'm crucified right now. This is not cool. Uh, my friend said this would go a lot different, but now I'm pegged up to this cross. And we just made fun of you to think we were cool to our other friends, but now I'm scared to die. How many know that guy was in trouble? And he's like, uh, uh, hey, Jesus, we were just making fun of you, but uh, uh, hey, shut up, dude. Listen, listen, we were making fun of the wrong guy. Listen, Jesus, I know we were just making fun of you, but would you remember me when you go to paradise? How many know that was his Hail Mary right there? I'm not sure where this guy is going after he dies, but I know for sure if I die, I'm going to hell. Let me just throw out this mustard seed of faith. How much faith did that man have to have that day? A mustard seed. You ever seen a mustard seed? It is like the size of a ballpoint pen. And what does our loving Savior say to him? Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. You're going to come from a rugged cross to the streets of glory. You'll come from the stench of the air of death to the air of life in heaven. You will close your eyes in darkness and awaken them to the light that knows no shadow. And so there's a both and here, isn't there? There's a both and. There's going to be days where you probably mess it up and you might find yourself in a Peter Geraci court. But you know what? You need people around there to lift you up gently and work it through and not give up on you. You need people like Cynthia who are going to stand by your side and Berta who are going to be there with you. But then there's going to be other days you're going to be by yourself. And you're going to have to make decisions on what house to buy. And even though you have this much of a budget, God's going to say, be happy with this much of a budget because that's what I have for you. And you're going to have to trust the Lord as he carries that burden as only he can. My story may not be your story, but I know we're smart enough and intelligent enough to apply it to our lives. Each one of us will help each other in times of life. And then at other times, we're going to have to say to each other, I can't follow you down that road, but I know someone who will, and he's a great companion to have. He is the brother, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the lily of the valley. He is the fairest of 10,000. He is the bright and morning star. He is your shepherd. He is your healer. He is your provider. He will walk with you in that divorce court. He will walk with you in that custody battle. He will follow you to that school that your pastor's afraid to go to. He will follow you. Come on. He will go to your job where people are crazy and they have lost their mind. God will go there. Do you know that I've been scared to even preach in front of some of these high schools? But our students go there every single day. But I committed to them. I committed to them. I will preach whenever you preach out there. Let me know. I'll come preach with you. But where's TJ? We had some scary situations out there. And I don't know, be honest with you, which one's more scarier, the homosexual or the gangbanger? Both of them can do some crazy things. Let's just be honest. When I see the dude do this, it's on. Anything is possible at that point. When I see the guy do this, I'm like, I might get slapped, bit. I might get stomped on. You never know. I'm being honest. And when I see the guy keep going down like this as he's talking to me, reaching like, come on, TJ. When I see him reaching down and putting their hands like this, I'm saying, dear Jesus, take me home. Be with my family. I'm ready to meet you, Lord. But I'm serious. But our kids, some of you guys got to go there every single day. I know when I tell you about my, my temptations with lust on Netflix, some of you deal with it on your job. People are inappropriate. People hitting on you. Temptation is everywhere. I know many of you, you're going to face situations where you're going to wish. I get it. You're going to wish somebody could walk in there and carry that burden with you. And in many ways, I wish that I could too. 
And I wish that, that it was like that. But there's a strength that comes when we learn to trust the Lord. There is times in our life that God says, no, nope, no, nope, this is not meant for anybody else. It's meant just for you. As Vinny comes in closing, Jesus said it like this, unless you hate your mother, brother, wife, and sister, even your own children, you cannot be my disciple. How many remember Jesus saying that? For those who don't remember, would you please put up the scripture, sir? You can pick uh, any uh, gospel. He said it multiple times, please. Thank you. Why would Jesus tell us to hate our family? I mean, we're supposed to love them and care for them. Why would he tell us that? Well, obviously the word hate there does not mean to dislike and to think bad things about. The idea that he's teaching us there is that you have to hate anything that gets in the way of you being alone with Jesus because there's nobody that can do for you what Jesus can do. Even the best helpers can help only to an extent. When my wife and I, and I was uh, testifying about you earlier, about your challenge of faith, half kid. But remember when you had said you wanted all these things? And I said, I just want the will of God. And remember when you had said you basically were done with this house because this didn't work and that didn't work? But I was saying, honey, I'll be happy if God wants us here. Remember that? Okay. And my wife is way more budget friendly than I am. But just in her mind, she had high hopes and big dreams. But we had to trust the Lord. But now watch. At that moment, I could not love my wife more than I love Jesus and what he had planned for me. I want everybody to get this. Please get it. Let's pretend this is the burden right here. My wife saw me one day freak out because I was thinking about asking my dad if I could move in again. And this time he lives in Florida. Am I telling the truth? We came down to the last month of whether or not we would have a house. I know this came up in the testimony multiple times. I've never talked this much about getting anything in life. Please be patient with me. I sense the Lord using this. It's a, it's a, it's a testimony that I will help you. God is my witness, Jason. I said to her, I said, if we cannot get a place by the end of February, I'll have you move with my family in Florida. Because how many know there's some family that may be closer, but they're not really closer? <laughs> so you're going to go move with my family in Florida. Listen, this is real talk here. And I will stay here with the two oldest, and we, because they go to the youth group, and they're going to remember this. The other church, my, my kids at our church, because they won't remember all the trauma. They're too young. So the two oldest that will remember the trauma, they'll live with me. Now, remember, we had over 800000 come in last year, more money than we've ever had. But I don't have a money problem. I have a wisdom problem because money doesn't solve every problem. Is everybody with me? So then I said, I don't have the wisdom of where to go. I am not going to be desperate and buy one of these homes that I'm going to regret. I said, how about you take the kids, go to Florida, and then I will pastor here in an Airbnb. She said, why can't we stay with you here? I said, the Airbnbs I'm looking at are between five to 7,000 for the whole month. I, I just can't justify spending all that to keep us together. It's way too much for the church to have to pay. Imagine paying an Airbnb for me to live in the city with my family for $5,000 because I couldn't find a home to move into. And we've been looking since October. And you know what? She was like, well, we just need to pick one of these. We just need to pick one of these. We just need to pick one of these. This is exactly what it was like. I want everybody to get, I have the best marriage you could ever hope for. Nobody loves their boobs or boobs more than me. Are you listening to me? But I said, are you all listening to me? But this is exactly what I had to do that day. Miss Shale, this is exactly what I had to do. I had to take the burden off the kitchen table because that's where we were at. And say, she doesn't get it. I can't just pick one. I can't. 
That's not what God said. He didn't say just pick one. And I had to take that burden back into my prayer closet by myself and say, Jesus, my wife doesn't even understand. What's up? Help me, Lord. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about real moments in your life. I'm not just talking about people abandoning you. My wife didn't abandon me. If, you, if, if we needed to pray till 3 in the morning, she would have kept praying with me. But there was nothing my wife can do in her own almost 40 years of experience, in her almost 20 years of Christian, you know, 40 years of living, 20 years of being a Christian, there was nothing she could do to change the situation. There was nothing she could do to eliminate the situation. She could not carry it anymore. The head of the house had to carry it. The head of the house had to go to the knee before the altar of the Lord and say, I have no one. But you alone, O oh God, in heaven. In heaven and on earth, there's no one I desire but you. And I'm just speaking that over people today, that you think that we don't love you because we can't pray with you every single time. Or you think that this person in your life doesn't love you because they don't hold your hand every time. There are situations that you are going to have to learn to walk straight up into the throne of God and say, it's not that I hate you in the sense that I don't care about you, but I can't place you before any of my things that God has told me to do. You pick the other one that says, hey, get the one that says, hey, please, in closing. This one says loves their father and mother more. That's, that's a way of understanding it. I want you to see the word hate in there. Because I had to hate at that moment any advice that my wife was going to give me that wasn't coming directly from God. So what you think may be the thing you didn't want it is actually the thing you want. Can I tell you when we signed, when, and it was right around Valentine's Day, so the I told you so came a little bit gently to my wife. Come on, because it said be gentle, right? But when I came to my wife with the, I, I think God just did it. God figured this whole thing out. She was excited. And she admitted her wrong as I have admitted my wrongs. Trust me, I'll come next week. I'll tell you all my wrongs in the marriage. But we had to trust each other. Look at what Jesus said. If anyone comes to me and does not hate, thank you, brother, his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be a disciple. One last story, unrelated to my house. Thank you, Jesus. I was on my way to Pakistan. Somebody say Pakistan. Thank you. Where was Osama bin Laden hiding? Pakistan. While he was lost and everybody was looking for him, I was on my way to Pakistan. The news was blowing up that terrorism was getting worse in the land, but God had told me it was time to go. Some of you have heard the story, but others have not. I just want to encourage you today. And I realized at this moment that this would not be like a mission trip to Mexico, to Chilapa, to these other places. This was not going to be like that. When I flew into Mexico, we flew into Puerto Vallarta. That's where our home airport in the city was. Oh, Puerto Vallarta. If I get a little bored here at the mission trip, I'm going to Puerto Vallarta. You know what I'm saying? And actually, after the mission trip, we stopped at Puerto Vallarta. No, you know, flying into Pakistan, it was not going to be like that. Anybody ever watch 24? Anybody ever watch Homeland? Anybody ever watch one of these movies? That's what I'm flying into. I better have my beard ready. I better blend in. 
If you have not seen what's going on in Pakistan, even to this day, you better pray for them. They're stoning, sending people on fire all the time. That's part of what they do. Young people here, you guys go out and go hang out with your friends. They set people on fire. That's what these young people do in the name of their religion. True story. Look it up right now. Christians and even non-Christians, if they don't like you as a fellow Muslim, they'll say, oh, he blasphemed. He did what? He blasphemed. Pour the gasoline, set him on fire. We will figure out the story later. And this is what God told me. Because I said to the Lord, I said, God, I don't think I need to go to Pakistan. You got to say it like how they say it. For this. It's not Pakistan or Pakistan. It's Pakistan. Yeah, Pakistan. God, I'm not sure about this trip now. Um, I think my friend, his name is Edward. He's good. He's good. We're doing stuff online. You don't need me over there, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, I do. I want you to go to Pakistan. That's where you're going. And in my heart, I'm like, okay. Um, well, Jesus, you understand that if I go, I could die. And then, you know, let me just tell you, if I die, Jesus, my wife's going to be by herself, and that's not going to go good for her. And then my kids, who's going to walk them down the aisle at their wedding day and dance the father-daughter song? I got four girls. Come on, God. And you know what Jesus said to me? This is what my Jesus said. Somebody say, the real Jesus. The real Jesus said to me, don't you use what I gave you as an excuse to not serve me. Who gave you the wife? Who gave you the children? God, God. And he said to me, you let go and you trust me. And as God as my witness, I told my wife, if anything happens to me, you can check out some of the men in the church, get you a young stallion for Jesus. Have the kids put up a picture next to me, which I've done sometimes at weddings. Have them put it next to me at the dance floor. You know, a picture of me at the dance floor is right there, looking at the, the groom. There I am. That's it. And then last minute, my visa fell through. The, the conflict got too great. And God said, now I know I can trust you. Now I know. You see, what we don't understand is that in the middle of us carrying our own burden, we think it's unfair, but oftentimes God is saying, I want to see if you want to know me like that. You say you have faith. You say you believe, but you only do it in the Bible study when it's time to give prayer requests. You say you believe, but it's only at this time. I want to see if you believe when everybody leaves you. I want to see if you believe and now Christianity costs you something. And then let me share with this. When you know those moments, you are the best person and the most tested person to carry other people's burdens because now you can discern what they really need. When I first was a pastor, I did everything for everybody. I drove the bus. I picked people up. I made sure the kids did their homework at night for the single moms. I did all of that. And then I came one day, and, and, and I realized that they were doing stuff without me. I showed up one day, and I saw Timmy doing homework without me. And I'm like, dude, you do know how to do homework. I don't have to come here every time. And then one time I saw that mom catch her, her bus to, to work, and I said, man, you know how to catch a bus? You can catch the bus to church. But you see, I wasn't, I, I said, I'll take her, but I'm like, but look, man, you catch the bus to all, man, you can come to church on that bus. And then I began to realize, ah, oh, there are things that I can do, and then there's things they got to do. There's burdens that we carry, and then there's burdens that they carry by themselves. Are you guys ready to do it? Let's go. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on, somebody. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today that you're teaching us how to carry burdens and how to help others carry their burdens.
You're teaching us, Lord, when it's time for us to walk that journey alone and when it's time to walk it with others. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, we offer to you some burden carriers. These prayer workers will meet you today and pray with you and help you unload your burdens to Jesus. This is a perfect time to come and depend on someone to ask for help. They're not a priest like in the Catholic Church. They're just a prayer partner, a fellow Christian that will help you. And if you're here today and you want to pray on your own, you can pray something like this. Father, I believe in Jesus. He died on the cross for me, was buried, rose again on the third day. I ask that he'll come into my heart, change my life, forgive me of my sins, and watch what Jesus will do right now as you pray that. Those of us here who are already Christians, would you look at your life and see the both sides of the track here? Would you make sure that you're applying to both correctly? Start with the first one. Are you a compassionate person? Do you care about the needs of others? If you've been hard-hearted and lazy, would you ask the Lord to make you a giver, a servant of all? Ask the Lord to help have you to help him have him help you to help others. Especially young people right now where clicks and all of those things are so important. Young people, let me tell you how you make friends. You find someone that has a need and you begin to fill it. Begin to sit with those at the lunch table that others don't want. Begin to be a friend to those who don't have friends, young people. I promise you, you'll watch what God will do, and it will bless you. Don't chase after the most popular kids just because they're popular. See the need of the popular kids and begin to meet it. Reach out to them. Everyone here today, look at your life on that side of the coin today. Are you doing all that you can to help others out? I'll be up here today to help you decide what I can do for you. Maybe I can help. Maybe I can't. I'll find someone who can if it's not for me. But I'll stay up here today to put my money where my mouth is. What can I do to help you carry your burden today?